you would please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20, this is God's word. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. When God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Folks, this is an embarrassing passage. I mean, what in the world? Abraham has already dealt with God in such an intimate way that, I mean, his name has been changed. He's done all these things. He's been walking with God for years. How could he do this? That's a problem. Also puzzling to us to think about the fact that at this point, they're really old, and Sarah is really old. So why was she 
so amazingly desirable that the king of the land where they went would want her as one of his wives. I mean, L'Oreal and all those companies that sell products that ladies use in order to look young apparently had nothing on Sarah. She was, uh, she was appealing looking at, uh, in her old age. Now, another factor that doesn't really completely solve this, but it, it, it at least helps a little, is that uh, Abraham is going to die at 175. Okay? She's going to die much younger than him at only, uh, she didn't even make it to 130. But um, it's probably those beauty products she used did her in. But um, in any case, when we think of somebody who's 90, like she was, um, we think, you know, well, I won't say. I, there, there is still an attractiveness, especially to older people, in older people. One of my favorite stories was told to me by a pastor in Florida whose congregation is elderly. He said that a widower in the church found himself very attracted to a widow who had recently started attending the church. And when he saw her, he was just smitten. And he thought, I'm going to go over and introduce myself. So he, he went over and introduced himself and asked where she was from and uh, she was new to the area, and so he said, listen, I would love, I've lived here for years, I'd love to take you around, show you the area, and, you know, get you, get you familiar with the place. And she said, well, that sounds lovely. And so he suggested that uh, they would sort of tour together and then have a meal together, and they did that, and man, he just, he was in love. She was a Christian she was, had a winsome personality and nice sense of humor, and she looked really nice. And he thought, you know, I've been lonely. I don't want to be alone the rest of my life. Um, I'd love it if, if we could end up together. And so he decided he'd ask her out again, and he thought, you know, I don't want to scare her off, but, um, but I'd really love it if I could go ahead and kind of solidify this relationship before somebody else swoops in and takes her from me. So I think I'm, I think I'm just going to, if it goes really well on this next dinner date, I'm just going to ask her if she would be willing to marry me. And I, I'm just going to tell her, you know, at our age... We, we don't want to waste time. And so, but then what if she thinks, I'm an idiot, I must be crazy, I'm too impulsive. So he goes over it and over it in his head. If she says this, I'll say this. And, and if she says this, I'll say this. And if she says this, I'll say this. He goes over it and over it and over it in his mind and takes her out and they have a wonderful time together. And at the end of the meal, he proposes. The next day he wakes up and he thinks, did she say yes or no? 
I played that conversation over in my head so many times that I can't remember if she said yes or no. Well, this is horrible. What am I going to do? Well, there's nothing to do but be honest. So he called her on the phone, and he said, listen, um, you know, this is John, and, uh, you know, last night we had a delightful time at at dinner, and um, I, I know that I asked you to marry me, and I'm horribly embarrassed to admit that I can't remember what you said. And she said, oh, John, I'm so glad you called. I said yes, but I couldn't remember to whom. (laughs) Now, that is not a true story, but it is based on a reality, and that is that even when you're getting old and you're losing your memory, you still find people attractive, okay? One of my other favorite stories about this subject is the woman who was in a nursing home, and she keeps staring at this new guy who's just become a resident of the nursing home. Just every time he walks by, she's just staring at him. And it really is kind of creeping him out. And so finally he says to her, I'm sorry, but why are you staring at me? She said, oh, I'm sorry. She said, I I just can't help but thinking how you look so much like my third husband. And he said, third husband, how many times have you been married? She said, twice. (laughs) Got it? So Abraham and Sarah at this point are old, okay? They're old, but apparently Sarah was still a looker. And she was graceful. And she was appealing. And so when they went to this new place, they continued a pattern that wasn't just once before. People say, well, no, this, you know, this, uh, this, this is just sort of a, a different version of, uh, of what happened back in chapter 12. Well, yeah, but it didn't just happen back in chapter 12. It happened in chapter 12, and it happens again here. But we're told this has been the pattern wherever they went. Okay? Abraham did this over and over out of cowardice. He puts his wife in danger to try and protect himself. It's not good. It's not good. So, we've got a problem that our hero, Abraham, is behaving badly. We've got another problem. And that is that God still treats Abraham as the good guy who needs to pray for Abimelech so that Abimelech and his household will be healed. I'm sorry, I have problems with that. I'm sorry, I have problems with that. Why would God bless and use Abraham? 
In this story, Abimelech seems like the better man. Okay? I mean, Abimelech didn't do anything with Sarah. But of course, that was because God prevented him from doing so. He intended to be intimate with her, but it was with a clear conscience because he didn't know she was a married lady. So when he finds out, when the word of the Lord comes to him in a dream and warns him, he believed the word of the Lord and he acted on it the next day and he was extremely generous in his dealings with Abraham who had deceived him and with Sarah who had deceived him because she went along with it and said, yeah, uh, that's, that's my brother. You know, Pastor, you do remember that uh, it says in here that uh, they were half-siblings. Yeah, I, I got that part. I got that. But as we've said before, half-truth is a lie. Okay? If, if I offered you a, a glass of milk and half of it was turpentine, you know, I mean, other, the, other, the other part's milk. Would that be a legitimate thing? No. Would, would you drink it? I hope not. Well, it's milk and, and some added ingredients. Half-truth is a lie. Deception is lying. Don't try to deceive people. God hates lying. Twice at the end of the book of Revelation, it lists who's going to be in hell for eternity. It talks about murderers, sorcerers. There's only one group in both lists that gets special emphasis. That's liars. Those who love deception. I mean, it doesn't say all murderers. It just says murderers. It doesn't say all sorcerers. It just says sorcerers. It says all liars. Um, Pastor Wood, I, I have a um, I need to tell you that I have, I have on, on more than one occasion lied. That makes me a liar, doesn't it? It does. So am I going to hell? You are, unless you're born again. What does that mean? It means when you trust Jesus, he not only forgives your sin, he gives you a new life. He gives you a new identity. And all our sin is nailed to the cross. So I don't have to fear that God's going to destroy me, even though that's what I deserve. But I'm forgiven. 
not on the basis of what I've done. If you have a glass of turpentine and you try to make it drinkable by adding, water, uh, by adding milk, that, that doesn't work. If you are a sinner, and we all are, you can't cure yourself by doing good things. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do, do this, and I'm going to stop doing that. I know I shouldn't do that. Well, should our behavior change if we become a follower of Jesus Christ? It will change if we become a follower of Jesus Christ. We're not going to keep doing the same things over and over and over and over and over and over and over that we've done before. Well, might we on occasion sin? Yeah. Well, so it's, it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, it is. That's horrible. But it's not unforgivable. The one sin that's unforgivable is refusing to trust in Jesus. Grieving sinning against the Holy Spirit. So, in this story, we've got Abraham, after all the years that he's known God, all the years that he's followed God, still falling back into a pattern of sin, and it is sin, and God choosing to protect Sarah and to validate Abraham's chosen status, not on the basis of Abraham's goodness, but on the basis of God's sovereign grace. Why would God do this with Abraham? Because he chose to. Why would God choose him? Two answers. Number one, I don't fully know. Number two, in Scripture, when God talks about why he chose the Jews, why he chooses us, his explanation is, I deliberately chose those that nobody else would choose. I deliberately chose those who would not make the team. I wanted to make it clear, God says, Old and New Testament, he says this, I wanted to make it clear that it is my grace and not people's goodness. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't pat yourself on the back and say, well, <laughs> you know, not everybody else sees what's really in me, but God does, and, and he thinks I'm great. No. He sees us as trophies of his grace. It is for the glory of his name because we can't earn it. We can't earn it. When I look at this story, I am absolutely amazed at the mercy and grace of God. But there's one more thing that we need to see, especially in our day. God treated adultery as a deadly sin. 
We live in a culture that says, eh, it's no big deal. You know, I mean, you, love is love. You do what you want to do. You know, two people love each other, they ought to be able to be intimate. God doesn't view it that way. In fact, verse 6, Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against Abraham. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I have kept you from sinning against Sarah. Oh, I still got it wrong. I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Adultery is a sin against God. Let me say that one more time. Adultery is a sin against God. Does God ever forgive people of adultery? Yes. Think David and Bathsheba. Which, by the way, was never treated in Scripture as something that was her sin. It was his. The reason it wasn't treated as her sin is because she didn't have a choice in the matter. But adultery is sin. And it's a sin against God. Well, uh, so what are the rules? Let's see if we can say together what the rule is. Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. That was pretty good. Let's try one more time. Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. Uh, so what if, what if it doesn't fit that definition? Then it's not okay. It's not okay. You understand? Recently had someone headed down the stairs at my house. And they said, uh, so this is the staircase that has to do with the illustration of your wife's eyeball. I said, yes, this is the staircase. You can picture it right there on the stairs. I don't think I've heard that story. What happened to your wife's eyeball? Well, I love my wife. And I love so many things about her. She is a beautiful lady, even in her 60s. She's a beautiful lady. And one of her features that I especially love is my wife's eyes. They are beautiful. I say that they are green. And the reason is because they are blue with a gold ring and some gold flecks in the iris. And the consequence of mixing yellow and blue is green, right? If you take yellow paint and you take blue paint and you mix it together, you get green paint. 
My wife's eyes are blue and gold, and I call that green. And I think they're beautiful. And they're very expressive. I not only know my wife's voice, but I know her look. She can communicate with me wordlessly from across a room just with her eyes. I love her eyes. Well, I've done a lot of traveling. When we started the ranch, I was driving about 35,000 miles a year in order to go out and spread the word about what God was doing here. I don't drive as much as I used to, thank the Lord. But um, I want you to imagine that I came back from one of those road trips, and when I came into the house, there on the stair was one of my wife's eyes, okay? An eyeball on the stair. And, and, and I saw that, and I said, oh, my word, it's Susan's eye. I love her eyes. They are so beautiful. Do you think? Do you think? Of course not. If I saw my wife's eye on the stair, my screams would echo all across the valley. I'd be horrified because as beautiful as my wife's eyes are, they belong in her eye socket. You understand? If you take that beautiful thing out of where it belongs and you put it somewhere else, it's not a nice gift. It becomes grotesque. It does not work the way it's supposed to. If I saw her eyeball on the stair, I wouldn't say, Hi, I'll be up in a minute. Because that eyeball doesn't function detached from her. Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. You take it out of that context, and it's not beautiful anymore. Oh, it can be very, very beautiful. No, it's like an eyeball on the stairs. Well, Pastor Wood, I mean... I will just say that there is pleasure in sex even outside of marriage. Oh, yeah. There's also pleasure in heroin. There's also pleasure in cocaine. But where that leads is destruction. Our sense of Timing is very distorted. And so we can think we've found something that's wonderful. This is great. And all that shows is we don't understand what's going on. This life is so short, and you and I are going to stand before God. If we take his good gifts and rip them out of the context that he designed them to be enjoyed as beautiful and want to do our thing.
because we want some of that now. We're going to answer to him. God told Abimelech, I kept you from sinning against me. You and I need to thank God for the times that we didn't get what we wanted because he was mercifully preventing us from further sin. We also need to ask him to forgive us for the times when we have sinned because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God chose Abraham to display his grace and his power. And God protected Abraham, and God protected Sarah, and God protected Abimelech. Sometimes the people who don't know God as well as we do behave in a more righteous manner than we do. And both the Old and the New Testament talk about that too. God says to his people Israel in the Old Testament and to Judah, you have behaved worse than the pagan nations that surround you. Your sin has been greater than theirs. And part of the reason that that is so is because we know better. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says the sin in your church is the sort of thing that makes the pagans scandalized. Corinth was a city that was famous for immorality. To Corinthianize someone didn't mean you acclimated them to the culture. It was a sexual term. It was a horrible environment, the city of Corinth. But Paul tells them, you've got stuff going on in your church that is worse than the people around you. So, when I look at this story, I've got all kinds of questions. But when God looks at this story, he says, I have some questions for you, Jim. Do you realize that your only hope is my grace and that I have preserved you by grace because I chose to? You've got no reason to pat yourself on the shoulder and think I'm better than somebody else. Our only hope is God's grace and the marvelous truth is that God reaches out with grace and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God is merciful, gracious. He forgives sinners, but it's not based on our cleaning ourselves up. It is based on our coming to him and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner.
and then. It's amazing what he does. Changing us from the inside out so that we begin to see sin for what it is and we no longer want to find an eyeball on the stair. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us and for giving your son to save us. Please help us to repent and believe the good news, to trust in you and you alone, and we will give you all the praise. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.